Wow. Okay, business owners, crazy times means big help is needed, and I'm here for you. Right now, lock in my special offer, 50% off all social media marketing packages, from we do everything for you to we plan with you. Whatever you need, we are here to help you market your business on social media. Hi, this is Glory with Successful Marketing Group. For a limited time, you can get my entire team of super smart social media marketers working for you for 50% off all level of packages. Don't wait. Go right now to SuccessfulMarketingGroup.com backslash social and let's get you where you need to be. Welcome to part two of a great conversation. This is the Cheryl Reeves Show. And again, we're joined by David Berry, professor, professor of economics at Southern Utah University, lead author of two books, Wages of Wins and Stumbling on Wins, author of Sports Economics, a textbook with Macmillan Learning, and of course, one of my favorite followers on Twitter. He's right about everything. Uh, and <laughs> you know what? Sports media loves the argument. They love the the false uh, set up argument where two people you know take sides. I really like talking to people who I think know what they're talking about and are and have good hearts and are right on target. So this is a great show for me. I get to listen to Cheryl and David talk uh, again. This is part of the TalkNorth.com podcast network. Thanks to our producer Brandon Morton. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app. Check out TalkNorth.com for all the shows. Follow us on Twitter at TalkNorthPod. And if you'd like to advertise with us. Email K-C-L-E-A-R-Y at talknorth.com. Let's get right to it here. Uh, Before we get to the big picture stuff, I really am interested, David, in how you calculate, uh, you know, wins. And Cheryl told me I can't, I got to get it exactly right here. Wins produced. Tell me how. I I actually like the reaction you might get if you were to say win shares and not win produced. (laughs) Okay. Tell me about win shares, David. Uh, okay, wind shares is nonsense. So, um, so there you got that. That's about uh, what I said he would say. Yeah. So, wins, yeah. Well, you know, the, the, I, I, I said this uh, before. You know, the difficulty in doing research in basketball is uh, I needed a measure of performance that linked what the players were doing to outcomes. And it has to be done in a way where if you say, a player is worth some specific number, I have some way of saying, okay, that translates into team outcomes and I can see how you did it and I know why you did that. And win shares is derived from Dean Oliver's work in Basketball on Paper. And if you read through that book and you try to replicate what he did, a lot of it seems very ad hoc where it's not clear, why are you doing this and where did you get these weights from and how did you come up with this? And and that's just not, you can't use that in academic research. You have to have some, you have to be able to justify what you're doing in a way that is, that other people can see what you're doing and they can replicate it and it's objectively clear. Uh, so that's, that's what I, that's what I started, you know, 20, 25 years ago is put together a model that would allow me to do this. And it's, it's not tremendously different than what we see in baseball. Um, even what we see some in football, uh, what you're doing is you're trying to say, uh, we know how many games team won. Um, how do the players' actions, which are you know what we see in the box score, rebounds, steals, assists, points, shooting efficiency, turnovers, how do those relate to wins? And and 
And so you're trying to assign a value in terms of wins for each of these statistics in the box score. Uh, and what you see when you do that is that basketball is a tremendously simple game. Uh, the model that I derived uh, works whether you're looking at the NBA, WNBA, men's college basketball, women's college basketball. I analyze the old ABA. It works exactly the same for them. Uh, it's basketball's always basically the same. Teams win because they do. There are three things that you that teams typically do that lead to wins, and that is uh, you got to rebound, you got to do well with respect to turnovers, and you have to shoot efficiently. So that that's all basketball is. Basketball is you take the ball away from the opponent without them scoring. So you rebound, force turnovers. You keep the ball away from the opponent. So don't turn the ball back over, get offensive rebounds. And then when you shoot, make it go in the basket. That is basketball. It's that simple. Uh, and so if you do those things, then you are going to produce wins. And if you don't do those things, you're not, which means, and this is the hard thing for basketball fans, I think, to grasp. If you're a player who takes a lot of shots, but you don't shoot efficiently, then you're not producing wins because shots are taken from your teammates. If you're not there, the shots are still going to be taken. Somebody else will take them. So if you're shooting at a below average rate, then it doesn't make it ever so many points you scored. If you shot at a below average rate, you are a below average player. If you're not doing, if you're not rebounding and doing things with respect to turnovers that are good. So that means there's a lot of players like an NBA history, like Allen Iverson, Carmelo Anthony, who are simply not very productive players. And that's why their teams typically did win a lot because you can't allocate 20, 25 shots a game to a player who can't shoot. And NBA fans, basketball fans have a hard time because they, they zero in on scoring. Scoring totals are what drives a lot of perceptions. Um, and so you, you get, you end up having these same conversations over and over again with basketball fans saying, okay, it's, you can't look at the scoring totals. You got to look at, what actually drives winning that's what should matter to you and i have this uh this kind of balance you know to the to the numbers to the analytics in that you know the donovan mitchells of the world or the Enrique agumbawales of the world um you know who maybe don't necessarily register all that high on the wins produced because they largely get paid to score uh however inefficient that may seem at times <laughs> um that you need those players as well you know, but you, you can't have a team of, of uh, players that are, are not doing things that produce wins. Uh, but, but certainly there's a role for that player. Uh, so I think that's where uh, I think, David, I remember when you when Donovan Mitchell got extended and was, I think, probably paid like the Supermax or something. And you were up in arms because that's your team out there in Utah. Right. <laughs> and you said, okay, okay. what the yeah. heck? <laughs> I, I, I would I would say I, I'm never up in arms about this one way or the other. It's you do what you do, and then I say, okay, that doesn't make a lot of sense to do that. But it's your team, your money. Do whatever you want to do. It. <laughs> um, so it's it's I'm okay with however you wish to do this. Uh, I've had people say that to me because when my when the wages of wins came out, uh, we devoted like uh, there was like three or four pages in there to Alan Iverson, and that was it. It's 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 a you know. 250 pages or so book and there's like three pages on Allen Iverson and Malcolm Gladwell wrote a New Yorker review where all he talked about was what we said about Allen Iverson that was the entire take on the book and it was only like three pages uh, and so all these Allen Iverson fans come out of the woodwork and they're very unhappy and I get 
people say, well, you don't like Allen Iverson. And I'm like, saying, I don't know Allen Iverson. I don't have an, I, I don't have any feeling one way or the other. I'm just telling you that if you shoot 41%, you're not really any good. And that's <laughs> it. That, it's not, I'm not saying you that like you're a bad numbers. person. <laughs> you're not a bad person. I'm just saying you don't shoot well. You know what? When I played basketball, <laughs> I didn't shoot well either. That didn't make me a bad person. <laughs> And I'll step in here to thank our sponsors, uh, Glory Ramsey, SuccessfulMarketingGroup.com. Glory, of course, ran the 2020 Youth Homeless Winter Wear Drive that was so successful last week. We greatly appreciate her. We also appreciate Cara Quinn, C-A-R-A Quinn from VibeMN.com. That's Vibe Realty. We'll tell you more about them later. Let me ask you this, David. I, I'm uh, the classic basketball sports debate of our time is, is LeBron James catching up to or superior to Michael Jordan? It is the, you know, that is what drives 80% of NBA talk. It seems LeBron effective field goal percentage, 541, Michael Jordan effective field goal position, 509. How much does that play into your evaluation of those two players or have you evaluated those two players? Uh, when you look at those two players, uh, Michael Jordan at his peak is, you know, at his best season, if you go back to 88, 89 or so, uh, was a little better than LeBron at his best season. But if you look at their entire career, uh, LeBron didn't have the drop off. Well, he hasn't had it yet that Michael Jordan had. Michael Jordan played a lot longer than he probably should have. Um, what he did for the Wizards was really, really quite bad. Uh, he, and, and he was old. I mean, he was, you know, he was, he was an old man and basketball is not an old man's game. Uh, I, I am somewhat known for saying basketball players age like milk. Um, <laughs> cause they do. Uh, it, it's, you know, when you're 35, 36, you're just not what you were when you're 26. And you could see that when you watch Jordan play. Uh, I remember watching Jordan trying to guard Grant Hill at the end of his career. And it just, you know, it's, it wasn't a very fair matchup at that point. Grant Hill was, you know, 22, 23, 24 years old, and Jordan was 12 years older. And Hill could just drive right by him whenever he felt like it because, because you know, Jordan couldn't keep up anymore. Uh, and so when you look at that debate, the, the answer is uh, it depends on how you look at it. And they're both really good. And, and by the way, that is often the answer uh, from analytics. It would depend on how you look at it. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a few definitive things we can say. I can tell you that if you shoot badly, you're no good. Uh, but when you're looking at two great players, um, great players are great players. And which one you think is better is often just a matter of your preference. Um, but yeah, Jordan and, and LeBron are both really, really great. And, and so there's not a lot of daylight between the two of them. So if you have a really strong opinion about one or the other, there's no objective reason to have that really strong opinion. Um, now, if you want to compare those two to Kobe, okay, now you can have a strong opinion because Kobe Bryant was never as good as either one of those players. Right, a much less efficient offensive player. Absolutely. Uh, and Kobe, at the end of his career, after he got injured, wow, he was really bad. I mean, he was yeah. a really, really bad player. Uh, I think he had, a, he had a streak going at the end of his career where he did not shoot 50% in a game for I don't know how many games in a row. He, he really mm – -hmm. He was dedicated to not shooting well. Uh, that was that. Was, he he really kept with that, and uh, and and you know, it, I, I remember I remember commenting on his final game where he scored I think sixty points or something like that, and 
I, I pointed out, I said, yeah, if, if you're in a gym and you play for two hours and you launch a bunch of shots, you'll score 60 points. I don't know that that's an accomplishment. I get it that he's older, but he's not so old that he can't shoot that many times to get 60 points. That's that's not an unreasonable thing to have happen. And his teammates were certainly going to let him do that. So I don't I don't know what it's. It, and that's really a, a big point I come back to is that your shots are taken from your teammates. If you're not there, they will take them. And so when Allen Iverson left the Sixers, um, their shot attempts stayed exactly the same. When Carmelo Anthony left the Nuggets, their shot attempts actually went up like one per game. Uh, and they actually became a lot more efficient. They were a much more efficient team when Carmelo Anthony left. Uh, that's that's pretty typical. Your shot attempts are – players don't create shots. Shots are created by teams, and, they're, and it's not the case that when – Kobe leaves or Carmelo leaves or Enrique leaves or any of the people who shoot a lot of shots, if they leave, the, the teammates are not going to dribble in a circle and go, I don't know what we're supposed to do here. They're you just going to shoot. You haven't seen the Timberwolves play. <laughs> Even the Timberwolves. You know, the, the players players love to shoot. If you let them I, – I know Coach Ree will agree with me. If you let all the players shoot, what they would shoot, right? Am I right about this? They would just shoot yeah, if you let them, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You know, even well, you said it best. It's your team's shot, right? That's the thing that we try yeah. to convey to them. It's not your shot. It's the team's shot. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Even Ben Wallace, who was a horrible offensive player, got really mad when his coach told him uh, when he was with the Pistons, "I don't want you shooting anymore because you're horrible at this." Uh, <laughs> that's that's typical. You tell a player, "Don't shoot," they get mad. I, I like to shoot. Uh, and I, I totally sympathize with that. When I used to play pickup basketball, my rule was if you give me the ball, I shoot. If you double team me, I shoot. You triple team me, I'm definitely <laughs> shooting. I am shooting. I get nothing out of passing. I'm not going to do that. You you were dumb enough to give me the ball. I'm going to shoot. <laughs> it's a pickup game. No one's coaching me here. <laughs> no one's calculating wins produced, I guess. No. Yeah, my wins produced is negative. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good stuff. good stuff. Let me steer this uh, back to the intended path of talking about women's sports and the new year. Do want to thank Cara Quinn. Uh, you know how to find her. VibeMN.com. Cara Quinn, Q U I N N C A R A is the first name. And usually we tell you how great uh, Cara is at her job and how great she is to work with. She put out a, a holiday message that I thought I'd share today. As she says, with our cherished local restaurants having to shut their doors the past month, no doubt they'll be looking forward to some extra love and support as we head into the new year. Let's make sure they can open back up and serve our communities again. After all, what would the Twin Cities be without them? Here's some recommendations for your New Year's Eve celebratory takeout dinner and some specials they are running for the occasion. And the, again, you can go to vibemn.com and find this among the restaurants she recommends ordering from to help keep the doors open. Revival. Red Cow, two of my favorites already, Italian Eatery, La Grola, The Gnome, France 44 Cheese Shop, Fogo de Chow, Hazelwood, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, let's let's uh, support local businesses. And, of course, if you are looking to buy or sell a home, uh, then let Cara Quinn support you in those efforts. She's very good at what she does. All right. Cool news that the NWHL is going to have its semifinal and championship game broadcast by M NBC Sports in early February. Uh, this ties in with the fact that you know WNBA ratings are way up. Uh, New York Liberty merchandising is way up. It, as you know, Cheryl always says, and David always says, if if people 
support women's sports, women's sports will succeed and they will make money as well. They will make money for the people who invest in them. Uh, so I just want to get both of your reactions to that latest bit of news and take it in any direction you like. Cheryl? Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I think I've long said, I, and I think the, the story that, that was written uh, by, by or co-authored by, by five people, uh, including Dr. Nicole Lavoie here locally, uh, from the Tucker Center, um, you know, essentially, obviously, we know that women's sports, you know, doesn't receive the uh, the coverage that uh, it deserves. And when we say it deserves, what I mean by that is that there is greater interest than than what the uh, the number of broadcast games shows. Uh, I don't mean to say that it's exactly the same interest as it is perhaps in the NBA, uh, but there's greater interest than than what we see in terms of the of the coverage. And so that's what I think that. Um, outlets are finding out uh, as they commit uh, greater resources and, and, and commit quality of coverage, they're seeing growth. And, and the numbers are, are through the roof at a time when that's not the case for men's sports. Um, and so, uh, Dave, I let you go kind of build on it from there. Yeah, I think that's, that's what we, we see. We, we're seeing that the audience for women's sports is greater than they imagine. And, and that's, it's been typically the case that that the outlets underestimate how much demand there is. And I, I think you have to come back to the fact, you know, these are some basic stats about sports that I, that I emphasize with students and I emphasize in my writing. About 45% of sports fans are women. Uh, surveys make that very clear. So it is not the case that only men are sports fans. Um, nearly half are women. Uh, but uh, when you look at uh, when you look at the coverage, about 95% of the coverage goes to men's sports. Uh, and, and that is because about 90% of sports media jobs are held by men. So men are deciding the coverage and they're deciding to cover the things that they are personally interested in. So they don't cover women's sports uh, as much and they also don't cover it as consistently. So this has been another criticism that I have of the way in which women get covered is that you know, men's sports have things like Monday Night Football, you know, which is a great title for a show because you know it's on Monday night and you know when it's going to be. A couple of seasons ago, WNBA coverage was, uh, you could have titled the coverage Random Time Coverage because every <laughs> national broadcast was at a different time, at a different day. And then they say, well, you know, the ratings don't seem as high as we thought they could be or, you know, we'd like. It's like, yes, you can't expect an audience to find you when you're randomly placing the programming at different times and no one even knows it's there. Uh, we see the same thing when it comes to women's college basketball and men's college basketball. Uh, tune in any night. And if you have, you know, a cable television package, uh, you know, I have the Dish Network package. Uh, you'll see six, seven men's games on in a given night. And women's games are sometimes there and sometimes not there. Hard to build an audience if you're doing that. And so we're seeing an uptick in more coverage and we're seeing the ratings reflect that when you make it consistent. Uh, so there's clearly an audience out there, uh, but I don't think we've reached a point yet where the men who are making the decisions fully understand that. Uh, and so, you know, but we're, we're making progress. It's nice to see the WN get, get some coverage uh, it'll be interesting to see how, they're, how the, the ratings for that, those games compare to NHL games, which NHL games, but in general, have pretty low ratings. So it'll be interesting how women's hockey compares to that. Yeah, and I think if I, if I could take it back, um, you know, the idea of 
uh, you know, something, David, we talked about the, the, the last uh, podcast where uh, the investment mindset in women's sports and how we're not, we're just not there yet as a society. And mostly, you know, as we talk about uh, the decision makers who are largely men, um, it, it, you know, the next excerpt from this uh, story, if I could share, um, you know, that, that, uh, you know, the idea that, there's a, a billion dollars in 2021, a projected or predicted, I should say, billion dollars uh, in revenue for elite women's sports in 2021, a billion. Um, and, and the idea that, um, you know, the idea that, that people would view women's sports as a lucrative business opportunity is just not something that's common narrative. Uh, despite record-setting momentum. And so, uh, and if I could pick it up in this story where, where uh, the authors write, many decisions are still based on outdated assumptions. Marketing has largely positioned women's sport as the, quote, right thing to do, end quote, as opposed to an exciting investment opportunity, and fans are treated as monolithic. The resulting narrative has left the women's sport market both underserved and undervalued. And so that, in a nutshell, I think, you know, is, is, is I mean, I don't know if they could have said it any better. Um, and when you talk about the, um, the, the studies by Nielsen uh, talking about the general sports enthusiast of all genders, uh, there, there's interest in women's sport. Um, you know, that to the tune of it was 46% of fans indicated that they would tune in. Uh, so I, I just think it's a, it's a, it's a missed business opportunity and we are well beyond the idea of this is quote, the right thing to do. And the people that get that uh, will be, we served well business wise. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This is, yeah. I, I don't think we should expect uh, people in business to do charity work. On the other hand, we should expect people in business to understand uh, what growth means and what future opportunities mean and understand how businesses develop over time. Uh, and what we're seeing with respect to women's sports is that the men making the decisions often are not doing that. So, uh, you know, and we, we talked about this before, you, you, you can't compare NBA ratings straight up with WNBA ratings right now. That's not a fair comparison. The NBA has been around a lot longer. You got to compare NBA to what the W, you know, and WNBA today to what the NBA was, you know, 50 years ago when it was also a 20, 25 year old league. And, and when you make that comparison, WNBA looks great. Uh, and then once you make that comparison, you say, OK, look, if I invest in this, eventually WNBA will look a lot like the NBA. And we're going to see this will become a multi-billion dollar entity and and, you know, players are going to be paid a lot more money in the future. Uh, but you have to make the investment and you have to understand that's where you're going. Um, and, and that, you know, that requires an understanding of what you're doing. And, and again, often we're just saying there's these stereotypes. Uh, men consistently do this. Uh, you see this over and over again. Sports Illustrated did a did a uh, sent out a, a tweet saying uh, who are the who are the best teams in in 2020, and they listed all men's teams. It's infuriating. And I said, uh, you know, okay, first of all, if we're going to say best, okay, the best team would be. You could argue Seattle Storm were the best team. They play in a 12-team league. Every team's an all-star team. They dominated. Okay, it, right now the NBA is considering to—they're considering to expand. They want to expand their teams. They already have 30. Uh, this is an exercise that you know people should think about. What if the NBA gets cut back to 12 teams like the WNBA? How many players do you see right now in the NBA are not going to be there? They would not be employed. 
This means that when LeBron puts up his numbers and Jordan put up his numbers, he was they were doing it against players who, if the NBA was structured like the WNBA, those players wouldn't be there. So your numbers are inflated. You look better than you would look because you're not playing an all-star every night. Uh, and so what what you see with the elite players in the WNBA, you're putting up top numbers against top talent every time. This is another way of thinking about it. Think about boxing for a moment. Imagine you had a boxer who's 30 and 0, but never fought anybody. And you have another boxer who's 30 and 0 who fought title fights every single time. Clearly you would know 30 and 0 against nobody doesn't mean anything. Uh, and so you, if you're going to make a comparison, you want to think about the competition they're facing. And WNBA players face better competition. Therefore, what they're doing is more impressive. Therefore, you should include them on your list. <laughs> well said, David. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Uh, to go back to, I want to amplify a point you all were making. You know, one of the most powerful things Cheryl ever said to me, and I think it was on one of these shows, was, well, she said, she said that men get the investment first. And it's just a, a, such a powerful, succinct way of putting it. It's like women have to prove themselves first, then they have to justify every dollar. Men get the investment first. They get the stadium, they get the league, they get billionaires and millionaires throwing money at them in the hope that they could make money down the road. And, you know, that is that, you know, that I use that all the time because, you know, there are a lot of long-winded ways to explain the difference between men's and women's sports. But that's, you know, that's like four or five words that sums up the entire ethos. Absolutely. Uh, to put on the National Women's Soccer League uh, this last summer, the commissioner was on the phone for six hours to secure a loan. That doesn't happen in men's sports. Men's sports, <laughs> people just throw money at them. No one's no one's on the phone for six hours waiting for someone to please give me a loan. And it turned out they had a very successful uh uh, experience. So you, you constantly see this where women have to work extra hard just to get the same thing that men are getting. And often they don't even get the same thing. Uh, men are constantly being just handed things. Uh, and it's something that comes back again and again. Men are handed billions of dollars in public subsidies. They don't earn them. Men are handed 95% of the media coverage. They don't earn that. This is all stuff that you're being given that you don't you didn't work to get, it's a gift. So when you sit there and say, I earned this, okay, you didn't because you don't understand what earning means. Okay, if somebody gives you something, you didn't earn it. Uh, and so women are working a lot harder uh, and getting a lot fewer results because again, the game is biased against them. Uh, and so, and again, it's because men are making the decisions. Men are the ones deciding what they want to put on, what they want to show, what they want to invest in. And it's male politicians, men in the media, men in sports. They're constantly seeing the lens, you know, they're seeing sports through their own experience and their experience is, well, sports are for us. And I think what we're trying to say is, okay, sports aren't for you anymore. Women play sport. Again, you go back to high school athletes, you know, 45% of high school athletes are girls. Women play sports. That's what they do. Um, and so you can't treat this like it's just for me, you know, it's, it's women do this as well. You got to include them into the, into the, into the area that you're in. And there's also another angle to this, which is that men, television executives, 
didn't even recognize what they had in men's sports for a long time. I mean, they used to broadcast one baseball game a week. Uh, they used to not broadcast all the home team's games. They used to play the NBA at midnight on tape delay. Uh, you know, football, it was, it was considered, you know, almost crazy when they decided to put a football game on Monday night. And now they play almost every night. It, it, part of it is absolutely gender bias. And part of it is TV executives move really slowly and are trying to do things to preserve their jobs rather than look for the next great thing that can be broadcast. Yeah, I think that's that's true as well. There, there is an issue with the people who are making decisions have a difficult time understanding the nature of the business they're in and how it changes and what level of demand there is out there. Uh, when you go back to the NBA, was on. they used to have their, their finals on tape delay. Uh, the story of that is uh, they were broadcasting, their, they were scheduling their finals during sweeps weeks for the networks. And the networks were saying, okay, we need to have huge ratings right now. We can't put the NBA on that week. And so David Stern takes over as commissioner and goes, well, what if we just moved it to a different week? And they're like, yeah, we can show that. You're like, <laughs> yeah. you mean to tell me that you had to have David Stern come into your takeover leadership to make a decision to move it one week? I mean, you, you needed someone to do – you couldn't figure that out on your own? That's that's the level of decision-making. You're like, wow, you guys got to try a little harder to think about stuff because that's yeah. that seemed kind of obvious. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> So where we're sitting here today, we're heading into a new year. There are, as we, as we talk about, there's some hopeful signs, uh, and the WNBA certainly continues to grow and grow its popularity. What do you want to see? You know, we all know what the sh we want the the long term to look like. What do you want to see in the short term here? But for both of you, let's start with Cheryl. What I want to see in the short term with regard yeah. to with well, the, I, the growth of your league, the and the growth of popularity of women's sports. Yeah, you know, and I think you know, I think you said it, or, or somebody said that you know, you don't expect. Um, you know, this isn't about businesses, uh, you know, treating women's sports as charity, you know, that that's not what we are. And so I think what I'd like to see, number one, is the narrative uh, around women playing sports to be changed. Um, and, you know, we talked about this last week, uh, that it would be helpful if the NBA followed suit of its players uh, and spoke about the WNBA in a way uh, that would help to grow the business, uh, invest in it, uh, be passionate about it uh, the same way that the NBA players are. Uh, and I think what happens from that is is what we talked about, that when when the narrative is that the league, the entire league lost $12 million, and, you know, and, and we know in men's sports that $12 million is a drop in the bucket. And so if we lose a penny, uh, everyone's up in arms about women's sports not being profitable, uh, despite the idea that because of uh, the, the, the amount of expenses Men's sports are rarely profitable on an annual basis, very rarely. Uh, is there great interest? Is it popular? Absolutely. But if profitability is the metric that we're worried about, uh, then women's sports are actually more viable, uh, you know, because the expenses are so low and, and the opportunity for growth is so high. And so I'd like to see the first thing is for just the narrative, uh, the constant uh, negativity around the idea that, um, you know, the, the notion that women's sports just simply loses money because it's simply not true. Uh, so we've got to replace the narrative, you know, to, to help kind of move it in the direction uh, to where it can get faster. Because uh, we're going to get there anyway. It's just a matter of how long it takes. Because as, as you both pointed out, that women's sports and women in general, women in society, do far more with way less 
than than men do. Um, and so we're going to win anyway because that's what women do. You know, we're we're, we're tough, we're resilient. Uh, it's it's frankly you know something we've done for uh, you know a century or more. Uh, and so, but but you know it gets it gets old, it gets tired. The same fight, the same fight that we've been fighting since the 70s uh, around what's available resource-wise to the women. I'd like to see the narrative. Uh, change and for us to be seen the same way um, men's sports is seen in terms of invest in us uh, the same way that you invest in women or in men. And I think you would find that the result for women uh, will, will be something that you'd be very pleased with and it'll grow at the same rate that men's sports did. David? Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. I, I think one of the things that's frustrating when I was writing um, at Forbes and at other outlets about the WNBA is you would have NBA, you know, the spokespeople, the, the public relations people contact you and, and they would actually insist, you know, we want you to put in your article that the WNBA loses money. And I was I was like, well, that's that's like really bad public relations. So if this is your job, you're really horrible at it. Um, I would I would put it this way. Uh, if you were a six year old running a lemonade stand, you would know not to talk down your own product. Uh, and so, you know, minimal level of public relations is don't don't disparage what you're what you're supposed to be promoting. And the WNBA does this on a regular basis where they they talk about profits. And this is something I, I've had conversations with accounting professors about this, uh, and I've asked them just point blank, what does it mean when an organization says we're not profitable? And they're like, well, it depends. It depends on what you're trying to accomplish because profits are not something that it's absolutely clear uh, that you that it means what you think it means. It, it may mean that it is true your costs are higher than revenue, or it may be that you did the accounting in such a way that you make it look like your costs are higher than your revenues. And then there's the issue of even if your costs were higher than your revenues, what exactly you're spending the money on. Uh, we know the WNBA, it's not the players. Uh, and so, you know, so this is, these are all things that I, I would like to see change. Stop talking about your profits. It's, that's not relevant. Talk about your product. That's what you should focus on. Um, spend your time promoting your players and your teams. That's, that's what your narrative should be. Quit talking. Nobody cares about your profits. Um, you know, and, 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 I, and I tell people this also. Professional sports has a long, long history of claiming it's not profitable. That has been their narrative forever. Um, and at this point, you should be highly skeptical whenever they say that because you've said it forever. And even the NBA, after they got their last major television deal and got the players to take a pay cut, still claimed they were losing money. And and I, as an economist, I'm looking at that going, how is that possible that you got that much money and you cut your player costs and you still can't make a profit? Are you guys just really bad at business? Is that what you want, to, want us to know? Because <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> so. It's so funny because, I, you know, I covered the Vikings and the Twins here locally for a number of years and I would have somebody high up the food chain try to sell me the we lost money last year thing but i had enough sources in this organization i'd call somebody else up and say okay tell me what's really going on and say oh we're fine we, you know we, we we can cook those books anytime we want any way we want you know plus they're all going to sell their franchises for 20 times what they bought them for so i'm not too worried about them um, exactly let's how about the last topic for today not that have to be the last topic but let's say the next topic for today I just want to say this and I want to hear your thoughts on it. I, I just feel like what we've gone through the last five years as a country, women's sports are important for all the reasons we've talked about and we continue to talk about. I think women's sports are also important because 
healthy women's sports would be a great reflection of a healthy society where you treat people of color well, where you treat people of, you know, all influences, all life choices, all life. Uh, I'm not phrasing it very well, but basically you treat everybody well, you treat everybody equally, and you give everybody equal opportunity. I mean, that's what America should be about. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, whether it's through women's sports or, or just in general, gender equity, uh, like you said, I think makes the world a better place. It makes us stronger. Uh, you know, I've long talked about the diversity of thought. So uh, racial equity, uh, gender equity, uh, those are those are the things that uh, if we could focus on, uh, you know, the, the next five years. I, I talked about this before, I think, with the, the last four or five years that have, have been so challenging for so many of us for uh, a plethora of reasons. Uh, but I thought that, you know, one of the most important things that came from the difficult time in our nation's history is I think that uh, a lot of things that maybe have been, you know, done uh, either in the dark, under the table, so to speak, uh, were out front and center. And you can't deny that these things exist. Uh, because through a variety of ways, uh, outright uh, spoken words, um, video capturing a variety of things, that these things are not just someone's opinion anymore. These things are front and center, and, and we recognize it, we see it. And I think that's been a lot of the aha moments for many, uh, why you saw the wave of protests. Uh, people, I think, have their eyes opened. And so I think these next five years could be a big part of uh, just making our nation and the world ultimately stronger uh, because we would have greater gender and racial balance. Yeah, I, I teach a I teach a course on economic history. And uh, so this is this is something that I spend a lot of time talking to students about. And if you look at the sort of what drives progress in society, what drives economic growth uh, up until about two or three centuries ago, the idea of, of persistent economic growth never occurred in human history. And I don't know that most people know that, but what you see is your incomes going up most years. That didn't happen historically at all. The way people lived in the 15th century was pretty much similar to what they lived 2000 years earlier. There was no real change in standard of living or life expectancy. And the reason why we think this changed is because societies in the last two or three centuries became more inclusive. Uh, the more people you have contributing in society, the more people you have making decisions, the more people you have coming up with new ideas, the better off you are as society. And when you say to half your population, you say to the women, we're not going to let you fully participate. We're not going to let you play a role. Uh, you are making yourself worse off. And, and, and sports provides a great way of, of illustrating that. Imagine if you said to Coach Reeve, uh, you can build your basketball team but you can only take players from Minnesota. That's it. That's all you can employ, just Minnesota players. Okay, you're not going to win doing that. You're just not going to have a successful team doing that. You have, to, you have to make sure your talent search includes as many different sources you can. Same story for society. You got to make sure everybody's participating. And that's what women's sports allows us to sort of highlight is what it looks like when everybody gets to participate. And I think that's really the big thing that women's sports does for us. Great stuff. Uh, David, we appreciate you spending time with us the last couple of weeks. If you don't mind, we will bother you occasionally in the future because you speak exactly to the topics we want to get into on this show. Uh, for today, I'll just, I'm just going to hand you, each of you the floor for whatever final thought you like. Let's, uh, let's start with David and then we'll let Cheryl wrap up. 
Okay. Uh, so yeah. So I, I, I don't. I don't. I think my final thought was just building off kind of what we've been talking about. I think uh, women's sports. What it does is it represents opportunity, and so by having women succeed in sports, uh, entering into a field that is generally dominated by men, it makes it, it allows us to think about society in a more inclusive way. And so I think that's why it's kind of important. Great stuff, Cheryl. Well, I think I have to, my final thought has to be an apology um, because I think 2020 was, was, I think I'm largely responsible for, I, I won't uh, take responsibility for the pandemic. Uh, I'll follow the president in that regard. Uh, but this time last year, December 31st, I had a gathering at the house. We were celebrating the new year. Uh, everything was going wonderfully, great company, you know, food and spirits and Every year of my life that I can remember, I have watched the Times Square ball drop. Uh, and then, you know, we, we celebrate the new year, you know, in touch with family and friends. And, and it's a joyous occasion. About 10 minutes before the ball dropping, uh, my cable went out at my house. The people and, and, and obviously me for the first time that I can remember in my life did not get to see the ball drop. And I lost my mind. I knew it was a bad omen. I knew it was. And so I'm taking responsibility for much of what happened in 2020. And here's to seeing the ball drop in 2021 and getting to a better place. Let's make it happen. I had no idea you were to blame for this, but now that we know that, <laughs> I, I feel good that we've, we've isolated the, what the issue was. Uh, I, I think we were all wondering about that. And now we know, now that we know what it is. Um, <laughs> I think we now see what the solution is. Uh, where we can go with this. Uh, so that's that's important. And I, I, I appreciate you owning up to this because, you know, that takes a lot of guts to own up that you were the problem. Um, I will so, have a backup plan. It will I will not rely solely on the Xfinity connection. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I think I think at a minimum you should do that. I mean, at a minimum, <laughs> you would hope that you would do that because so much is riding on on you here. So, yeah, that's great. <laughs> let it be known, let it be written that on December 22nd, 2020, a public figure took blame for something that happened in 2020. <laughs> I, I think it's wonderful that she did that, 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 you know, and so that's, that's no, it's definitely that's, overdue. It was, it was. Cause I, I, we all were wondering what is going on with this year. And it turns out it was just Cheryl didn't see the ball drop. I, well, I was distraught. Absolutely oh, distraught. It was an omen. All right. No more uh, omens. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll say every year at New Year's, my wife and I go to bed early because we're like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we go, maybe we should all go to bed now and just sleep through the end of the year. I'm staying up. I'm watching the ball drop. <laughs> ball drops. It's all, it's all an arbitrary calendar point anyway. So there you go. <laughs> Thank you to David. Thank you to Cheryl. Thank you to our producer, Brandon Morton. Thank you to everyone who has listened all year. Uh, we intend to talk about big issues, but also have a lot of fun with this show as we keep on going. Uh, you know, we appreciate everybody's sports talk, north.com, including glory and Cara. And we'll talk to you soon. Uh, again, we'll have David back on, uh, whenever we can, whenever he can fit us in his schedule, we love having him on, but we're also going to come up with some uh, other really interesting guests to keep the, keep the ball rolling as they say here in 2021.